This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, back once again with my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going, Brian? Pretty good, Al. Happy to be here with you once again. Absolutely. And joining us uh, once again, our editor-in-chief, Kevin McElvaney. How are you, Kevin? Good. I don't know why you guys keep having me on here. It's like (laughs) or something. (laughs) Well, we got a good reason uh, this week, and that is we're going to be talking about the 2020 PWI Achievement Awards. Uh, The issue just recently dropped. I, uh, you know, after the last one coming kind of late in the mail, this one came kind of early. I got it uh, in my mailbox yesterday, which is a nice uh, treat. Um, so I've been flipping through it. A lot of fun. Uh, definitely. I think we used to run these ads calling it the big one, right? So it, it is uh, probably among the kind of the two real signature issues, this and the PWI 500. Um, this one chosen by you, the fans, you guys vote on what you think is the best match of the year, the best wrestler of the year, tag team of the year. Um, this year, we have a whole new category, and that takes us to our special guest joining us here for the conversation is the inaugural Pro Wrestling Illustrated Independent Wrestler of the Year, Warhorse. How's it going? <laughs> I did it. Everyone can suck it. I won. Nobody can stop me now. I'm unstoppable. Well, thank you for joining us. <laughs> well, it really came in hot. I don't know if we've ever had a guest be that aggressive with their intro, but that's unlikely. I'm doing it again, too. Well, we'll talk about uh, that in in just a bit and also cover um, all the other award uh, recipients. Uh, And if you want to uh, see it all for yourself, uh, again, this is very much a must-have magazine. If you're a collector of the magazines, uh, you you don't want to miss this one. Back in the days when uh, I was a a teenager, a kid with a shoestring budget uh, and couldn't afford every magazine, you know, the two I had to get every year was the 500 and the uh, Achievement Awards. So uh, you don't want to miss yours. Go to pwi-online.com. You could pick up um, the one magazine, either the uh, digital edition, which you could download right away, or you could order it and have it mailed to your house. Uh, or we very much recommend subscribing. The um, the deeper savings come with subscriptions. Uh, you could get uh, up to 54% off of the cover a price. Uh, I readily have the magazine in front of me, and this time I do, so I could actually look at prices. You know, you could get three sixty-five per issue. That's a great deal. Um, so again, pwi-online.com. Uh, we're going to be talking about this issue, uh, but Kevin, uh, subscribers uh, got another kind of surprise uh, treat this week, right? Uh, so yeah, actually, not subscribers, but uh, followers of uh, followers, uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> Um, this is a separate special itch issue, which is uh, digital only, and it's called Pro Wrestling Illustrated Presents Inside New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, so sort of a nod to the old Inside Wrestling with the title there and the logo. And the centerpiece of that issue is an interview with Takami Obari, who is the uh, new president of New Japan. He has not done a long form interview anywhere. So this is actually, you know, it's pretty rare in the for a, a magazine to have an exclusive first run interview these days, but, but we did it. Uh, Walter Yates, who does our international report 
got some got some scoops out of them. Really, some surprising stuff. And uh, the co- really cool thing about this interview is that it's in English and Japanese. Uh, both translations are there. And then around that, there's some other cool stuff. Some archival articles, some photos, some uh, a new capsule profile that's exclusive to that issue. So you can go to any of our social media accounts and we have the link front and center for that. Um, and I believe we're going to try to get Walter on the podcast to talk to you and Brian about it soon and, you know, hype it up a little more. But in the meantime, you can go check that out. Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, again, to be clear, that that's not part of regular subscription, but it is a bonus <laughs> issue that you could go ahead and, and purchase uh, right now. Um, and uh, that's cool. I mean, that uh, you've been doing a, a ton of stuff here at the magazine. This is something we haven't um, experimented with in the past. Kind of reminds me of the old days of what we would put out some specials every once in a while uh, mm-hmm. in print. So this is uh, a very cool. Uh, certainly, we maybe don't uh, have the opportunity to cover Japanese wrestling as much as, as we'd like. And so it's neat to have uh, a whole issue uh, dedicated to that. So uh, whether it is the Achievement Awards uh, issue, the year in wrestling, or our special uh, digital uh, issue dealing with uh, Japanese pro wrestling, uh, go to pwi-online.com and pick it up. Uh, you could also subscribe there to our free weekly uh, newsletter, uh, the PWI Weekly. Um, you could also uh, buy t- a PWI t-shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Follow us on social media uh, at official PWI. I hope to be live tweeting the Royal Rumble uh, this week and angering a lot of fans as I am known to, I, I swear I try not to, but I guess <laughs> these days it's hard to relate sometimes. Uh, so crap so. all over it and that'll make everybody. <laughs> yeah. Really you. yeah. You're, going, you're going to be like, I'm really surprised that a subatomic particle won the Royal Rumble, <laughs> but I guess that's okay. And people will still be angry. Okay. Boomer. <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, let's jump into it um, because uh, we have our guest here. Why don't we uh, first talk about the Independent Wrestler of the Year. Kevin, um, I didn't know much about this. When I opened this magazine, I was surprised to even see this as a category. This is the first year we've uh, given this award. Can you talk a bit about sort of the the impetus for including it? Yeah. um, So I just wanted to mix it up a little bit. Um, And, I mean, the first notable change is – because so many of the uh, shortlisted individuals for the various categories were women, um, much more so than in previous years, uh, especially, you know, from WWE, it didn't seem as necessary to me to have the woman of the the year category. It felt a little bit redundant. Some people have have pushed back on that and, you know, have requested we bring it back and and we may, but that left a pretty big hole in the awards. Um, And thinking about how to fill that hole um, the independent wrestler of the year award came about. And I mean, no secret with me that, uh, independent wrestling is a huge interest of mine, a passion of mine. So to me, this just made perfect sense. It was a way to spotlight some of the wrestlers who might not have gotten as much attention in the magazine or in wrestling media generally. And then, you know, there it was, and there was a lot of interest in this category, a lot of different wrestlers uh, received votes. I mean, we always have the, at the bottom of the page, the vote for others section that has typically a half a dozen other nominees, but I can tell you there were many more apart from those wrestlers who received a handful of votes. So really competitive category and congratulations to Warhorse for, for winning this inaugural award. Yeah. Brian, before we, before we go to uh, Warhorse, Brian, uh, your thoughts on the addition of an independent uh, wrestler of the year. I, you know, it, it all, I, I know we still have a rookie of the year, but um, 
to me, this this almost leans kind of toward the the what used to be the rookie of the year because before we really created sort of a a, a definition for what qualified as a rookie. It, it feels like the rookie sometimes almost was the independent wrestler of the year, or sort of who was the new face. Uh, but but that's evolved over the years. So I think it makes sense because you could be just tearing up the independent wrestling scene, um, accomplishing, uh, as, as our guest has, accomplishing so much. But the reality is, how are you going to compete with uh, a John Moxley or a, a Drew McIntyre or, or somebody like that for some of these kind of uh, more notable awards. So I think it's great to kind of give them their, their own little space here. Yeah, I think it's an important distinction to make, too, to have two different awards like that because, uh, you know, it's it's not really always the same thing. I mean, especially now more than ever, there's a lot of people that are kind of making their name on the independent scene as a thing and they're not it's becoming much more viable so they're not just you know people that are brand new to the business i mean there are some people that are thriving for years on the independent circuit and so this kind of gives them the ability to be recognized if you're not necessarily a rookie and you're not working for you know a a major televised company you can still uh get this kind of recognition so i I think it's long overdue it's a great award to have yeah. Uh, and uh, just to go through the runners up uh, in the first runner up spots with 14 percent of the vote uh, was Nick Gage, who we've written about quite a bit in the magazine here in recent months. Uh, A.J. Gray uh, in the number two spot and the third runner up, Chris Dickinson. And the winner, the first ever independent wrestler of the year is our guest, Warhorse. Uh, can you tell us about your reaction when when you hear uh, you were the first person to uh, have this award? Uh yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> I didn't uh, I didn't expect it at all. I thought for sure that somebody like Nick Gage would have won the award. And then I found out I had 17% of the vote. And then I think. after I after you printed the magazine and whatnot, people were complaining that you guys picked me, even though it was voted on by people and I won 17% because they just don't understand how you guys pick awards. <laughs> was was this a career year for you? I mean, did you feel like this was really kind of a a, a turning point for you in 2020? And, and obviously, a terrible year for for a lot of people. Maybe for you, a real good one. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, it's the slowest year in wrestling history, and I pretty much memed my way to a title shot on television. So I'd say I made out pretty good. <laughs> was that the highlight for you? Your your appearance on uh, AEW Dynamite, challenging for a title. No, because I lost. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So. Yeah. What What do you make about the decision of adding an independent wrestler here? I mean, did, as a guy who's been working on the Indies for a while, um, is, is it nice to have, again, kind of your, your own space here and more of a, a level playing field where, where you're not necessarily competing with, you know, sort of the, the, the Roman Reigns of the world? I think, honestly, uh, the past two years, PWI's done a great job of, covering independent professional wrestling and it's nice to finally have an award but uh i'd say this award probably could have been instituted maybe 10 years ago or so whenever like kyle o'reilly and davy richards were still roaming the indies and stuff like that but it's really cool that independent wrestling has its own award and like you said we don't have to compete with people on a national scale that are obviously already under the microscope you know we're we're on the outside rim of professional wrestling, but we're still here. So it's nice that we finally get recognition. Yeah, I guess it's kind of ironic that that the award uh, is created on a year where there's probably less indie wrestling than there's been, 
who knows since who knows when i mean um where the the larger companies the wwe aw and some of these larger national international promotions have had the resources to continue operating throughout the the pandemic for, for the most part independent wrestling has been dormant so what what's that been like for you i imagine having many a weekend off yeah i sleep a lot uh <laughs> i sleep in until about one or two so you guys woke me up early for this podcast uh <laughs> Yeah, I sit at home, talk to the dog. She's not much conversation. And that's pretty much the life of Warhorse. Walk to the gas station, pick up a six-pack, walk home. I mean, you have you have emerged periodically though. So I mean, it, like you're you're playing it down a little bit, but you're the the longest reigning, I believe, independent wrestling champion for IWTV. So you've had some title defenses in there. Yeah, I've defended the title 40 something times now. I don't remember what the exact number is, but right before pandemic started, I was at 34, I think. And then pandemic happened. And then people were like, well, he's not defending his belt now. And, but I had a, a billion defenses within the first like six months. Yeah. People, not bad, I don't know. People <laughs> love to complain. You guys know that people love complaining online. Yeah. Has it been challenging overall for, for independent uh, workers in that, again, they, they have, so fewer opportunities this year to, you know, not just sort of um, be on the radar. And I know you're always kind of sort of building your your resume, building your your profile, but also just making money, right? I imagine uh, uh, you and a lot of other other independent wrestlers took a big financial hit this year, not being able to work a lot. It's been rough. It's uh, I feel worse for green kids than I do for people in my situation because there's a lot of people that just started within the past year and a half or so that had to put a pause button in their whole plans, any bookings they had, they're not really going out and learning anything. They're just kind of sitting around at the training school and not getting out and getting actual experience. So it sucks for them more so than I say somebody in my position, because at least I'm able to put out videos and people are familiar with me versus like these guys have no experience or fan base whatsoever. Yeah. Um, how, uh, 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 cool was it? Uh, and I know you, you talked about losing, so maybe not that much of a highlight, but just the acknowledgement, just that, that AEW with its audience, it being, you know, a, a, a national promotion right now, uh, beating WWE programming uh, a lot of weeks, uh, and, and you know, it's not the first time that an independent wrestler has, has been featured, but certainly WWE's sort of style of doing it is repackage you, call you something else, kind of tear you all down and and rebuild you. And this was just grabbing you up, showcasing you, and acknowledging that this guy is, is somebody. This guy is a big deal and worthy of a title shot uh, right off the bat. So what, what did that do for your profile? Uh, definitely bumped up my booking fee, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> Good for you. No, I uh, got a lot more recognition after that. I uh, got on a lot of people's radars. I made a lot of new fans from it, too. Uh, it seems like every other day people are asking why I didn't sign with AEW and things like that. So, you know, I'd say I did my part and I did it as best I could. So, yeah. like, say you were to sign with you know AEW or wherever else and you're under contract next year. That would make you ineligible for uh for this award so if that does happen who would you who's your pick to win the award next year uh well i would say blake christian but he looks like he's probably gonna sign with like new japan or something if i had to speculate 
But uh, I would say probably A.J. Gray. I really thought he was going to win it this year, to be honest. And he yeah, was constantly in contention, especially, you know, you had sort of a surge later on, but AJ wasn't the lead for a bit, as was Nick Gage. So it's, it was interesting to watch that evolve. Um, and, you know, AJ was featured in the magazine last year as well. I mean, he, he's really great. Kevin, uh, can you clarify what we consider an independent wrestler? Yeah, I mean, it's so it's essentially somebody who is not under an exclusive contract with a, a major televised promotion so if someone is under a contract with AEW or wwe they're out so that 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 one's kind of obvious and, I, and we did have a cutoff i mean so alex zane signed with wwe late in the period he got some votes and was you know maybe not one of the three runners up but he was trending that way but then you know ineligible dan Housen signed with ring of honor very late in the period um, actually he may, i think he officially signed after the cutoff date but by the time we printed you know he was ineligible um so <laughs> uh to remember to believe it's that. quite a trade-off you know is <laughs> contract with a nationally televised promotion yes pwi award you know it's like you've got to really <laughs> those two you, know, you guys are really good at pissing him off you know that i love it yeah love we got him to swear uh dan Housen for the for the first time and I tried to pull a wool over his eyes. Uh, he was upset that he wasn't number one in the 500, and I made a bogus uh, magazine cover with him on the front. I think he saw through it. But <laughs> I'm glad we were able to accurately represent his weight in the 500. That was, was it 700. Well, I, I fact checked it with him. I asked him. Um, I know we got Warhorse's height wrong. Um, so for, two years in a row, got the height wrong. You know so put it on the record. What's your what's your your height that we can include in the issue next year. Cause I assume you're, you're going to be in the running again. I'm six foot. All right. We got to bring you into the office and like mark it on a wall. Like you do with kids. <laughs> well, maybe after the pandemic. <laughs> we'll once every four months, just to see if I grew any. Yeah. Then we'll measure you every, every so often. <laughs> It'll be great. Remember when you were this tall. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Warhorse, thank you uh, for joining us. You're free to, to, uh, uh, remain here for a wrestler discussion on on the uh, the rest of the awards unless you get a run uh i think i might dip out because i gotta go get glass out of my eye <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know. All right. well, good luck <laughs> all right man thank you best of luck anything you want to promote before you bail uh everything all the time uh pro wrestling tees.com slash i forget the f handle uh, <laughs> uh warhorse merch on pro wrestling tees Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JP Warhorse. Subscribe to my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Warhorse Rules Ass. Come to my house. Give me $10. Uh, it's five foot. No, I'm not giving my address. Never mind. Uh, but yeah, I think that's everything. All right. Best of luck. Thank you. And uh, hopefully, talking again uh, next year when you win another award. Wait, 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 wait. I got a plaque coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. We do have a plaque. Hell yeah. Lit, yeah, I gotta it's stick coming. that in my stepdad's face and tell him how I made it in this business, baby. I got a plaque <laughs> now. It's official. Well, thank you, Warhorse. Keep rolling ass. Hell yeah, <laughs> always, baby. That guy. He was that was probably one of the more interesting guests.
I think you guys yeah. have had on. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, unconventional, I think, as you. I don't. I don't know that we've ever had anyone plug come to their house and give them ten dollars, <laughs> or, or, or have to get off the line because they needed to get glass out of his eye. Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe that was a reference to something he said before I logged on, but I guess not. I don't think so. I maybe maybe he had a, a hardcore match I I didn't know about or. Or I, I don't know what he's doing in his day-to-day. I mean, there's yeah. any number of reasons you could have glass in your eye, I guess. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, we got a lot more uh, awards here to, to talk about. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first one, going through just, I guess, chronologically through the magazine here, is Rookie uh, of the Year. Again, this has been something that kind of over the years, I think it's gotten harder to pick because the, the sort of changing face of, of wrestling, and, and it's hard to find sometimes, guys, who were um, – brand brand new and already making an impact what do we consider a rookie so a uh, rookie for the purposes of the pwi achievement awards is two things first less than two years active in the business so we try to get as close to the end of a calendar year as we can humanly do mm-hmm. um and so the, typically that's sometime in december the first match could not have been so for the, this evaluation period any earlier than January 1st, 2019. So we go back two full years because there's this understanding that people might have a match or two or even a lot of matches in their first year before they really break out. Um, And especially, you know, now, I mean, on one hand, it is easier to get in front of people, but um, it's a more crowded wrestling landscape than we've had in a long time. So it's sometimes harder for people to really break through as a rookie. And then in the larger promotions, a lot of times people are making their debut after they've already been through some kind of training, um, you know, have been wrestling house shows was, was really uh, how it was for WWE for a long time. So people even qualifying as a rookie who would be out in front of people and visible enough to, to, you know, garner votes. That's gotten a lot harder, I think. Yeah, sure. Uh, And I think it's fair to say that this year's winner kind of ran away with it uh, with 54% of the vote. Not a huge surprise given that he was given the biggest platform uh, of any rookie to shine. And I think did a great job. Uh, That's Dominic Mysterio. Um, Brian, what do you think? uh, You know, we saw him first at at SummerSlam in a match with uh, Seth Rollins that I thought was a hell of a match. Honestly, it was one of my favorite matches of of 2020. Uh, And I think he just... Uh, from the first time he stepped in a ring, really looked like he belonged. And uh, I guess given, you know, his, his family's lineage, shouldn't be that much of a surprise. Yeah, I think that for an award like this, I mean, one thing about this award is that it, it is tough, uh, especially for someone. I mean, Dominic Mysterio obviously had an edge because he got to be on TV right away. You know, he's with a major company. The, the problem, well, it's not a problem, but just the nature of the wrestling business is it can take guys years and years to really start getting their name out there. Like there are guys that are wrestling 10 years before, you know, most fans even know who they are in a lot of cases. So for rookie, it's kind of tough because people it's tough to vote for because a lot of guy, people, a lot of voters may not, you know, be f- too familiar with people that have just started, but, but yeah, I mean, Dominic Mysterio had the edge. He got to be like really pushed into the deep end of the pool right away. And, and I think, you know, other guys like, you know, Dustin Rhodes was like that people who are in the business for, with their family. And I think it also gave him an edge too, because of that. I mean, he's been around this 
And I can verify that because I remember seeing him when he was a toddler. Okay. He's been, he's been in locker rooms his whole life, you know, watching wrestling, seeing guys work, actually getting in the ring and, you know, and like playing around a lot of the wrestlers, you know, kids do that. And, and, and I think it gives them an advantage. It's like, you see it your whole life, you know what it is your entire life. Like you're not under any kind of illusions of the, of, of the nature of the business. Like you get to be behind the curtain. And I think that that really gives an edge to people like that. So I, I'm not surprised that he won. He seemed to me to be kind of like the 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 no brainer choice. So and not just because he's on TV or because he's Ray Mysterio's son, but because you know he's been really impressive for what he's been given uh, at such an early stage. So I'm I'm you know I'm uh, he he's one to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah. What I was most impressed uh, with him was that uh, I mean obviously the the athleticism uh, is there. And um, that's great. But he was thrown uh, right away into a storyline that counted, uh, relied so heavily on emotion, facials, storytelling. uh, And and I mean, really to the extreme. I mean, we we saw him get beat down with with the the, the kendo stick, uh, the involvement of his mother, his father, his sister. There's this whole love triangle um, with Murphy. There was a, a lot going on. And I think even a seasoned veteran uh, could have uh, a hard time in that sort of WWE ecosystem of, of the way they do this, of playing it straight, of delivering a, a convincing uh, emotional performance. And I think he just absolutely shined uh, from, from day one. I think we all remember him uh, just getting battered with that kendo stick and how he sold it. It was really one of kind of the, the emotional uh, high points for, for WWE in 2020. Um, so... Uh, Kevin, do you agree? I mean, do you uh, agree with fans' choice here for uh, Rookie of the Year? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it is interesting how we essentially saw him. He got put into the spotlight very quickly in a, a program with Seth Rollins, but he was essentially paying his dues on camera with those stiff kendo stick shots and, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of embarrassing storyline. But you know, like Brian said, he's been around the business his whole life. He was literally involved in a storyline as a child. Uh, the the Dominic custody ladder match between his father and Eddie Guerrero. Uh, so he, you know, it's it's in his blood and it's in it's in how he was he was raised. So it's not really surprising that you know, given some of course behind the 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 uh, scenes training that's probably gone back quite a while, that he was able to come out and, and perform at this level. Uh, I think one telling thing that WWE has done is kind of guard him a little bit since then, because I think they didn't want him to be overexposed too quickly and have the fans turn against him, especially because he's, he's really such, he's such a natural baby face, I think, you know, just like his father. Um, So that's been good. I mean, as far as everybody else, I mean, you know, again, it's fewer rookies out there invisible, but we did have a pair of them on AEW in the in uh, Anna Jay and Abaddon, who are first and third runners up, respectively. Um, one cool thing about the Nightmare Factory and the connection that AEW has with that is that you have people who start out, you know, with their training, and if they're they're progressing well, they'll actually debut. They'll actually get TV matches very quickly. I believe uh, Brooke Havoc just had her debut on last night's edition of Dark. It was her debut match, and she was on, you know, it's it's YouTube. Uh, it's not necessarily television in the traditional sense, but, you know, those shows are very highly viewed. Uh, I be- 
believe, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of views each week. So it's cool to see how AEW has utilized some of those lesser experienced wrestlers. And of course, Anna Jay has been in a, a women's title program with Hikaru Shida. So she's really been in particular a standout. And then Abaddon immediately followed after and did the same thing. Um, and then we have Joshua Wavra, who is a trainee of the Chikara Wrestle Factory. And Chikara no longer in existence, but uh, Joshua is a very sound technical wrestler and has has a you know a strong following on the independent scene um, in terms of the the fan base there, and got you know quite a few votes and enough, in fact, to put them into a second runner up position, which is really pretty impressive in the midst of Dominic Mysterio and two AEW wrestlers, but. Uh, one thing I would point out is that someone who did not get a runners-up position is Pat McAfee. I was going to bring him up because I, I thought he was just sensational. I think he only has, what, two matches under his belt? Uh, right. uh, but in every time he was uh, in, in front of a camera, he was such a pro. I mean, just an ab- absolute show stealer. Yeah, and he uh, was, you know, again, pretty late in the, in the game for, for this. Um, and I don't – we may not have even had him shortlisted. In fact, he was so late. Like he, he may have had his first match after we uh, uh, press time for the ballot, or it may have been just before, but well, his first match would have been um, the SummerSlam weekend, right? Because I remember him and Dominic had their mm-hmm. first matches uh, on the same weekend. It was super, super impressive seeing both these. That's Rook- right, yeah. So, no, so we had, had another match until War Games, which was yeah. in uh, November, December. Right, right. But he made enough of an impression. Sorry, maybe Brian. something to do with the. Just the the difference in viewership from Raw and SmackDown and NXT. I yeah. mean, um, it could be that. I mean, uh, I, NXT obviously ha- has a smaller viewership, even though it's still very large. I mean, that, that plus the lateness of his start, you know, because that's the big difference between him and Dominic is, you know, Dominic is feuding with Seth Rollins out, out of the gate and Pat McAfee's on, on NXT doing great, but maybe just a little bit lower profile, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, a fun uh, discussion here. And I think uh, fans got this right. Uh, let's talk about most improved wrestler uh, of the year um, coming in with 30 percent of the vote. Uh, this year's winner, Drew McIntyre. It, it's almost um, strange to, to think of him as a most improved wrestler of the year because he was the guy on sort of the A brand for most of WWE. But you forget that that by the end of 2019, really, he wasn't doing much of anything. And um, when uh, uh, he won the Rumble, it was a pretty significant surprise. I mean, um, he was very firmly a mid-carder. And really, in late um, 2019, I wouldn't even call him an upper mid-carder. I mean, he was um, uh, losing matches to, I forgot who it was, but but I mean, p- pretty low on, on the totem pole of WWE. And from there, you know, push, you know, push to the, the moon with a rumble win, limiting Brock Lesnar, beating Brock Lesnar in short order uh, at, at WrestleMania. It's been one of the big stories of uh, 2020 was the, the Drew McIntyre experiment and how bizarre it is because we still don't really know how over he is with fans because he's yet to perform uh, really in front of a, a live crowd, uh, but now has two title uh reigns um he he briefly lost to randy orton and then got it back um i think uh, you know a number of really great performances and i think he's just absolutely carried himself um like a pro like a top guy you know something he said that was really you know really kind of like an exhale relief moment i just read um yesterday was um him 
making clear that he wasn't all that interested in working with Bray Wyatt. <laughs> and, and, you know, he talked about like, yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially like he's not interested in doing the cartoon stuff. He wants to have great wrestling matches that are, are about honor and prestige and the championship. So uh, great to hear. What, what do you think of the job um, that Drew did in uh, 2020, Brian? Well, I think this has happened before with the most improved award where anytime you have somebody who goes from, you know, kind of like a mid card talent to all of a sudden skyrocketing to main event position, carrying a company, uh, you know, it's happened before. And I wish I had all the winners in front of me, but I know that's happened before that that person tends to be a shoe in for this kind of award. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to curse him here at all, but he literally... You know, Diesel, yes, a lot of people call him the worst WWF champion of all time. Okay, fine. But I disagree with that. But um, he went from, look, he was in the Diesel position. He literally was Dolph Ziggler's Diesel and then moved into being the guy that they're putting the rocket on and they're giving him the title and having him carry the brand. So, I mean, I am confident that it's not going to he's not going to go down as another diesel, but, but in terms of the trajectory so far, uh, it's been the same and I'm going to go out on a limb. I could be totally wrong here, but I wouldn't be surprised if diesel actually won the most improved award whenever they had it in 95 or whenever that would have been. I mean, maybe I'll have to check that out, but I would not be surprised because it's the same kind of trajectory. So yeah, I mean, that's a, that, that was an easy pick. I mean, God, he really, he was being completely lost in the shuffle, like, like not even just, not even when he won the rumble, it was almost like one of those things like, Oh my God. Yeah, that's right. He's still around. Wow. And and he won the whole thing. So that's the definition of most improved wrestler for sure. 1994's most improved wrestler of the year. Diesel. There you go. All right. Vindication. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kevin, um, your thoughts is, is he another diesel or, or more than that? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think, and I mean, uh, uh, the, the other thing we should mention with Diesel is obviously he went on to greater success elsewhere. Um, yep. But no, I, I think McIntyre has, you know, a long, bright future ahead of him. It was just a matter of this push finally happening. Um, and I mean, we don't have to look back any further than last year. Brian Cage won this award. Did Brian Cage all of a sudden get so much better at what he does in 2019? No, he, it's just he won the Impact Championship is what happened. And he was, you know, just on a, uh, you know, on a higher level as far as his push was concerned. And if you look at the runners up, even in this category, you have Otis and Jay Uso from WWE. I don't think Otis in particular has gotten particularly better in the ring, but he was allowed to showcase his character and his personality a lot more and fans got behind him again, presumably because most of it took place, not in front of people. Um, but he had some good momentum and, and seemed to be decently over before the shutdown. Um, Jay Uso, I don't think, I mean, he didn't get any technically better at what he does in the ring, but he was allowed to, and had the opportunity, I should say, to showcase his personality in ways that he didn't before. And, you know, this sophisticated kind of storytelling that we've talked about here on the, the podcast previously. So in some ways, it's really just push is what this yeah. is. Um, and I mean, even Ricky Starks, I mean, you could, he's certainly getting better and better as because he's still a pretty young competitor. Um, but he essentially just went from NWA to AEW, you know, and, and what was on a bigger stage in 2020. It's not, I, I don't think it's that he got so much better in the ring or at promos. 
even though I do think he's improving as he, he goes on, but he's the first runner up and it, it's because he was allowed to shine in a way that he hadn't been before in front of this national televised audience, as opposed to, you know, no disrespect to NWA power, but it was a relatively small YouTube show. And even when he was on NWA power, you know, even they kind of recognized his potential because he was sure. sort of positioned as this new guy making a big splash. Like they really, they, they were giving him a solid push. Uh, it, it, so then when he came to AEW, it was kind of like a huge amplification of what was already starting to happen for him. Yeah. He won that TV title tournament, I think very early in the year. Yeah. Um, so, so, and, and fans were way behind him. Um, uh, I agree with everything you said about Otis and, and Jay Uso. I mean, I don't see a whole lot of improvement uh, in Otis. He, he got a push. And then I think, uh, they they very kind of decisively pull, pulled back from that and and here um, at the beginning of 2021 and and the end of 2020 he wasn't that much of a factor uh, at all. Uh, Jay Uso I think did uh, improve a lot. I think with him it was a combination of getting an opportunity uh, but also really stepping up his game because uh, always uh, him and his brother are very exciting performers, athletic performers, but they worked a certain style of match, the kind of style of match that that they were called on as tag team performers. He was put in, uh, you know, main events uh, overnight, and that is a, a very different style and uh, against really a super heavyweight in, in Roman Reigns, and he more than held up his, his bargain and, and had uh, a pair of really compelling uh, main event matches on pay-per-view. And since then, moving into this position as kind of a, a henchman, it continues to shine. I mean, I think he's he's one of like the the, the great stories of, of 2020. So I'm glad to see him get his due here. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Inspirational Wrestler of the Year, uh, a real kind of tragic uh, case in this year's winner, uh, Shad Gaspard, with 44% uh, of the vote. Uh, we know it was pretty early. Was it pretty early in the year? When was this? Oh, yeah, May, um, that uh, he was out on the beach uh, with his uh, young son. I guess his son uh, kind of drifted away too far. He went out to get him and um, sadly drowned. His, his son thankfully survived, um, but he did not. And uh, then just a, t a ton of, I mean, you know, a, a name that wasn't really on the radar for a number of years, um, but you really got an outpouring um, from fans and from people who worked with him who uh, talked about what a, uh, a special, special guy uh, he was. So, uh, yeah, I think this was a no-brainer, uh, Shad Gaspard getting um, this award. Uh, what do you think, Brian? Yeah, he, he was someone who, um, like you said, even though he, he, he was n never a central figure anything he was very respected and beloved and admired in the locker room and and in his years after wwe continued to be somebody that was respected and admired you know there was a great um piece in the newsletter actually for the cauliflower alley club they do obituaries for people and it had a lot of people talking about you know what he meant to so many people and just the way even even just the way the way he lived his life and even what happened to him was, was a symbol of the kind of person that he was uh, and who he was. And I think also there was um there was a tweet that he sent out to um to JTG, his former tag team partner. I think it might have been his last tweet or something like that, talking about how much he loved him. And actually, a, a handful of his last tweets were him just randomly reaching out to people and just talking about how great they were. 
you know, and I mean, if that's not inspirational, I don't know what is he, he, I, I personally think that he would have been a contender for it no matter what, but it's just that more people know about him now, unfortunately, because of the tragedy, but he, he was an inspirational figure long before that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, did the fans make uh, the right call here with uh, Shad Gasper? 100%. Yeah. Um, so Shad, as Brian said, was just very respected, um, had a, a glowing reputation among his fellow wrestlers, both in WWE and then, you know, after that on the independent circuit. I, I was actually surprised, although I shouldn't have been, because the cr- Crime Time did continue to have matches throughout the country and particularly on the West Coast. Um, just how many connections he made, how many lives he's t- he touched. Some of the newer stars even just like who I, I didn't know that they had personal relationships with him, just talking about how uh, inspirational and influential he was before, you know, even before his passing. And it, it is worth noting that he died a hero. Um, apart from, you know, trying to save his son himself, the lifeguards emergency response got to him first. And he said, you know, forget about me, go save my son first. So he, he sacrificed himself for his son. So just really tragic story but you know given the kind of man that he was i think it's really fitting that he took this category i mean yes. who else could it be absolutely um in first runner up spot uh thunder rosa who really came on strong in uh 2020 the beginning of the year uh kind of shining on on the nwa brand um mm-hmm. that carried over to uh AEW. And I'm learning some stuff about her uh, here, uh, becoming a, a U.S. citizen, a natural, U- naturalized U.S. citizen, uh, fought in MMA, got a degree from UC Berkeley. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly a, a role model. Um, then this is unusual. Uh, uh, the second runner-up is not a person. It is a movement, the speaking out movement, um, where you had a number uh, of wrestlers, particularly women, um, speaking out about uh, sexual misconduct that, that they have uh, dealt with. And um, I think that led to a lot of changes over the summer uh, for wrestling. And um, in the third runner-up spot, Drake Maverick had a good little storyline over the summer. He was one of the wrestlers uh, released in, in all those mass firings uh, early in the year when the pandemic began and kind of willed his, him, his way back to television. Uh, and is he still around? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, I, I saw that we had some feedback online about this being strange. We have so Shad who died a hero, Thunder Rosa who's a hero in real life in addition to the ring, and then the speaking out movement and the the brave women and survivors who who spoke out with as a part of that. Um, and then Drake Maverick, you know, who is more storyline inspirational than in real life. But that video that he released on his Twitter uh, after he was part of that rash of releases over the spring. Um, it touched a nerve, you know, it, it kind of let people know that, Hey, there are real human beings behind these larger than life characters who have vulnerable moments, who crushing defeats, just like we all do. Um, and that was very relatable. And I think, you know, during a normal year and had he been pushed a little more when he did resign with the company, he could have really made a, a, a big impact. But as it remains, I mean, he's someone who for a, a lo- long time anyway, has, has always defied the odds. I mean, he's, he's a really small guy, uh, got over 
in TNA in a way that nobody ever expected him to. And then that carried him over to WWE where he's, he's living out his dream, even if he's not, you know, in the main event, so to speak. So it's, yeah. uh, it's just interesting to see how this all, this all plays out, but what's inspiring to one individual, uh, you know, it's, we all take inspiration from different sources, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's try to go maybe a little quicker through through yeah. the rest of these. Uh, comeback of the year goes to MVP with 19%. I was a little surprised by that. Um, I guess I was expecting, on one hand, Edge should have been the guy, right? I mean, what a comeback that should have been. He was gone or whatever it was, 10 years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it really kind of petered out um, after just uh, three performances, one of them, one of the most disappointing matches of uh, 2020, that match with Randy Orton, another one of the best matches of 2020, and then that's what cost them the rest of the year. Uh, but MVP, um, you know, a, a guy who we ha- we hadn't seen in, in a long time, I think might have come back in 20, was it the Rumble that he came back or was it the previous year's Rumble? Was it this it was year's- last year's Rumble, yeah. But I was, mean, yeah. even if not, I mean, last year was clearly the the year for him. I mean, he was- yeah. And, and, you know, he, he came back, worked a couple matches. It was kind of like a novelty. I remember early in the year said he, he you know, kind of signed off, said I've worked my last match. Yeah. And um, then became the focal point of of this real dominant faction. I think one of the the, the high points of WWE's creative um, in the last year and just done fantastic work, particularly in the mic and can still do just fine in the ring, but as a essentially a manager or spokesman uh, for the Hurt Business is just absolutely uh, tremendous. So, so glad to see him get the spot. How about you, Brian? Yeah, anytime that he's on TV these days, particularly when he's doing a promo, for me, it really highlights to me how I have to say they completely just dropped the ball with him on his first go around in WWE. And I mean, I, and I remember that time and he really was a great find and a great talent who was not given his due. And that was also part of his whole kind of like uh, uh, reason for being when he was in impact was like, here's this guy who got, kind of like the short end of the stick in WWE and he's, and he's getting a chance to shine in this other company. And now WWE actually gave him his chance, you know, all these years later, uh, it's almost like, I mean, I mean, that's really what it means to me is seeing him is just thinking, Oh my God, wow. Imagine what they could have gotten out of him. Um, you know, 15 years ago. I mean, that's incredible to think it's been that long, but that, that this is, this is long overdue. And I, and I, and I think, you know, even though he's not, he's more of like a a spokesman figure, like you said, I think that in no way, you know, takes away from the fact that he deserved to win this, that that's an important one for me. I think he deserves it. I'm always uh, so impressed when somebody is as good as he is on the mic in WWE, because I feel like, working in that WWE system, you're already behind the eight ball because everything you say is is so measured and scripted and structured that uh, it, it's so difficult to convey kind of authenticity in oh. in what you're saying. And there, there are others who do it. I mentioned Jey Uso before. I think Jey Uso is great at it. And a couple others, Samoa Joe has been great over the years doing it. But uh, MVP, I don't know if he's scripted. If, if he is, he's doing a great job of it because you, you can't tell. It just looks like a guy... It, it looks like complete authentic MVP when, when he's on the mic. Right. I just want to say one quick thing about that because um, 
I, I was working for the company when he when he had when he was on his original run there. And the problem is like a lot of the newer guys, a lot of the newer generation guys, of which he's one, even though he's been around a long time, he would still be considered, you know, from this newer WWE kind of scripted promo era. A lot of them are are kind of shortchanged in their training because they don't get a chance to do that. And they're very, they're very much only good when they're on script. And he was a guy, I mean, I can tell you, he was a guy who knew what it meant to kind of sit at the learning tree and kind of learn from the older guys. He always hung around the veterans in the locker room. He always tried to pick things up from people. I mean, now, of course, it's a, it's a totally different light. But I mean, I remember Chris Benoit was somebody that he was very good friends with. And he liked sticking around the people that had been around a long time and just absorbing as much as he could. Not every new guy does that. And he did that. And I think that's a big part of why he's so good when he's natural. I do think a lot of his promos are like partly ad libbed and because they have confidence in him being able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes all difference. Uh, Kevin, let me ask you about MVP and also um, our three runners up in, in the first runner up spot. Uh, Randy Orton, who never left, but, but had kind of a career resurgence in uh, 2020, Eric Young, who returned to Impact Wrestling after being uh, released from WWE and um, got the, the world title there and had a good run. And Asuka, who, again, never left, but after um, maybe not the best 2019, kind of reminded fans how, how great she was in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because this is more or less the rebound of the year. And I mean, in some ways, not all that different than most improved, but... I think the distinction here is that it has to really feel like somebody was sort of plucked from obscurity and then like really made an impact. Um, so, I mean, any of those people fit with that. I mean, Orton was, I think his lowest PWI ranking since he was a rookie, uh, PWI 500 ranking, I should say. Um, and, you know, MVP, I, I would argue it best promo in the company right now. Um, he's, you know, definitely top three, top five, if not the best. Um, but for my money, he's, he's, he's the current most exciting person to watch and listen to. And I like that he occasionally does get in the ring and mix it up. And, you know, he's, they're not going to push him and have him be the most effective member of the Hurt Business. That wouldn't make sense. He's a little older. He's not maybe in the ring shape that some of the other guys are. Not that I'm one to talk, but, <laughs> uh, cause he's far better shape than I am. But, um, He's the perfect mouthpiece for that group, makes them credible, uh, makes them feel like a main event act. So, I mean, I really think he he deserves this. Uh, I know in the past he's been pretty critical of PWI, um, but, you know, he's on my list of people I would like to see step into the hot, hot seat and you have a conversation yeah. with him because just such a an interesting and uh, accomplished guy who has done so much and you know lived so many lifetimes and I, I think like an interview with him would be very interesting so mvp if you are listening to this uh, <laughs> you know door is always open for that yeah I, I i don't know if it's the case um uh, but it really feels like the, the hurt business has his fingerprints all over it i mean going back to what the the original vision be, um behind the mvp character was now 15 years ago it was um, the the African American super athlete business professional you know handling his business uh, knowing his worth 
um, uh, a level of arrogance and, and cockiness about it, but also uh, very professional. And um, it it feels like that's the whole faction, right? And when you see all these guys and they all, you know, dressed really sharp and um, the way they handle, I really like the 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 segment um, this past Monday where they gave him um, the the gold chain. Um, you know, it it's uh, again in in, in twenty twenty uh, there hasn't been a whole lot to praise from WWE's uh, creative, and uh, the Hurt Business was a very much a, a shining bright spot. Um, feud of the year uh, with thirty seven percent of the vote. I think this is a gimme. Also, uh, Bailey and uh, Sasha Banks did they win Feud of the Year uh, years back too? Back I know actually they match of the year. Sasha go. and uh, Charlotte actually were the first two women to win this category in a feud against each other. Um, I, I had thought maybe that was the case too, Al, but when I look back, that's uh, Sasha and Bailey won match of the year, but not food of the year. Um, and it's interesting because it, we're going to get to it, but they also won tag team of the year. Isn't that um, yeah. No tag team has ever won feud of the year, the same year they won tag team of the year, let alone against one another. Um, it's just really Remarkable, but I mean, they, they arguably carried WWE programming for what the whole spring, essentially, like the early months of the, the pandemic. Um, early on, this was pretty close. I mean, you had Edge and Orton who are in the runner up spot, but as time went on, I mean, Bailey and Sasha really ran away with this. And I mean, 30% of the vote in a year where a lot of the winners are, you know, in the teens as far as the percentage of the total vote, 37% is very impressive. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting is that, you know, on one hand, it very much feels like, yes, this was the feud of the year, but the actual feud part of it didn't last very long at all, right? I mean, most of the year, they were kind of on the same page with this sort of tension between them, Mm -hmm. and then it it exploded late in the year, and they had the one pay-per-view match, and then I think a rematch on, on TV. Maybe I think we're still going to get the rubber match. I don't know if it's going to be at WrestleMania, but I don't think... I hope it is, yeah. It it feels um, unfinished. Uh, Do you agree, Brian? Yeah, and and you know the, they are part of that whole four horse women group who are just so naturally talented that you know it's not surprising to see them always being put against each other in this in one form or another, teaming up or or, or working as opponents, and they're just terrific. And it's again, it's not surprising they they also had the I think it was wasn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong. The first. Um, um, female hell in the cell match was that was that the first one no that charlotte and uh, sasha had had right okay well well still though i mean they they really impressed on that pay-per-view as well so i mean that's part of this whole thing that they carried that i mean it probably was the best of the hell in the cell matches on that pay-per-view yeah And they did some big numbers. I remember the, the at least one of the matches they did on free TV on SmackDown did one of the highest mm-hmm. uh, quarter hours, I think, uh, of the year. Uh, but yeah, it felt like it was over before, just as it started. I mean, it was this long, long build. And then we were on to uh, each of the women, you know, uh, Sasha working with Carmella and Bailey fusing with, uh, I forget who else or else. And it's like, really, we're done? You know, it, it felt like there was a lot more um, left. If the plan is to revisit this at WrestleMania, then I'm certainly not complaining because I'd, I'd very much like to see those two uh, on the WrestleMania stage. Um, as you touched on, Edge and Randy Orton on in the uh, first runner-up spot, a lot of build to that. I got to tell you, I never loved it. I, I it, it, um, it felt a little contrived, a little hollow to me, a little sort of manufactured. Um, it felt like two guys who thought it would be 
a bigger deal than than it was like all this history and team rated rko and it was like eh, i don't know um and that first wrestlemania match to me was just a big dud i loved um the uh the, the greatest match in the history of the world whatever they called it uh i thought it was really really good so not complaining there but but they shouldn't have called it that. I mean, no match would have lived up to that expectation. I think that was unfair. Well, certainly before you even do the match. <laughs> right. Just, it was a bizarre yeah. thing to do. But what, what I loved is when they did their they, when they did their Slammy Awards, um, they so they had the match of 20 the best match of 2020 and it didn't win. So their best match in the history of wrestling was not the best match of 2020, apparently. Um, then uh, in the second runner-up spot, Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy, which was a, a heck of a lot of fun. Who would have thought that you know those two guys would be able to put together this series of, of matches? But um, they were all interesting, compelling in their own way. A lot of fun to watch. You know, there was the uh, the mimosa match, uh, which they were just. I, I thought Chris Jericho was just at his best here, making um, Orange Orange Cassidy giving him um, that rub, uh, that credibility. And then uh, MJF and Cody, which again I would have thought would have been um, very much contender to to win this, they end up in um, the third runner-up spot. You know, again, just the one match. I mean, that's sort of like that's the thing about these feuds. I mean, you have the feuds. You know, Brian, when when we were growing up, a, a, a feud was this series of matches that they would take on the road night after night after night after night after night for for right. months or years, and now. You look at at um, all of these uh, uh, feuds of the year. I don't think any of them had more than three matches, and and in MJF and Cody's case, I think they had just the one, right? Well, that, that's partly, of course, the nature of the year as well. I mean, they, that's the best they could they could do. But you know, it's funny you mentioned that because WWE just put on the network a whole bunch of wrestling challenge episodes from the '80s, mm -hmm. like a handful of them. I think like the first ten or something. And so I, I watched the first one, and they were all about pushing the uh, Hulk Hogan Paul Orndorff feud, which I believe won feud of the year that year in PWI, and it was generally considered the hottest feud. And I mean, the whole thing was a house show feud. Like, the, the, I mean, they had the one, they had the Saturday night's main event uh, match, but I mean, it was mainly built up for the house show circuit. There, there weren't even, you know, there, there was one pay-per-view a year back then. So like they never had the big major, like that feud is fun. Right, right. The big event, right. They, you know, you're right. They did. I, was the big event pay-per-view? I guess it was. No, it wasn't. Yeah. wasn't right. But, but, but that was like the North American, you know, uh, attendance, all-time attendance record, but they never got as, as that feud is so fondly remembered by people that were around watching it they never got the platform that any of these feuds from this year got of being like in front of so many eyes at the same time, you know, just the, the changing business and, and plus the pandemic from 2020 as well. Yeah. I imagine they, if, if there were house shows, they would have. Yeah, uh, because think, if, if you do the math, right. If you look at it mathematically doing the house show circuit, uh, a feud like Hogan and Orndorff, it probably was seen by roughly the same amount of people as doing one match on TV, you know, right. today. Right. So it would have been, you know, dozens and dozens of matches right and as he said i mean if they were running house shows i imagine this would have been kind of the go-to uh match at least at the bigger house shows um for the last few months so um yeah i i from from interviewing uh, uh billy a, a few months back um i do sense that there's there's more planned that they are not done with this so Good. Uh, hopefully they get back to it um let's talk about uh most hated wrestler of the year 
with 21% of the vote, um, Seth Rollins. And we skipped most uh, most popular, but we can, we can go in that order if you want. Okay, well, yeah. Okay, let's just go backwards, I guess. Uh, most hated wrestler of the year, uh, uh, Seth Rollins. I'd say this is a, a, a big coup for him because he started the year on such shaky ground. I thought his feud with uh, Bray Wyatt um, near the end of 2019 was you know, caused almost irreparable damage to um, uh, Seth Rollins. And uh, I, I think it's what led to him having to do this heel turn because you could not salvage him as a babyface. Uh, and I think he did a fine job. I didn't love this character. I think it was uh, uh, better than what became of the Seth Rollins babyface character in the second part of, of 2019. I thought he was a fine babyface in the first half of 2019. Uh, basically, I think Bray Wyatt, you know, ruined him. Um but this whole kind of religious cult leader uh, kind of thing was hit or miss for me, but I think he did a fine job playing it and it was meant to be hated and it was hated. So good for him, I guess. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's better. I, I mean, I think most people would agree, I guess that he's better as a heel than a face. So, I mean, I know I, I've always felt that way with him. I think it's one of the reasons that he was struggling as a face. Yes, it was the Bray Wyatt thing, but but even before that, it's just I, I just think, and maybe this is a compliment to him or in some backhanded wrestling way, but he just comes off. I'm not saying he really is a jerk, but he comes off on TV as a jerk, and he's one of those people that you just don't want to like as a TV character, and it's hard to make him likable like making him likable depends very much on who he's working against the program he's in and so you know putting him in that Wyatt program was death because he's somebody that really needs to be positioned really well to stay over as a baby face not everybody's like that there's some guys that are just like superheroes doesn't matter what you do with them they're going to be loved you know it's just a natural thing and he's just not in that category. Like he really needs good creative. He just has natural heel tendencies, which, you know, good for him. And he's a strong heel. I like the Monday night Messiah character. I think it was, a, it was definitely a successful pivot from what he had been doing before that, you know? Yeah. What I, you know, I think what really soured me uh, on it was, uh, and I had almost forgotten about this until uh, I'm reminded right now, him plucking Rey Mysterio's eye out. And the, the stupidity of, of that angle uh, in a year filled with stupid angles, uh, that was, our, our, and, and it just, uh, again, kind of soured me uh, on the whole thing. Uh, and I gotta say, maybe I'm in the minority. I liked him as a baby face. Um, you know, I remember going to house show in uh, Pennsylvania last year. I was front row and uh, with my kids and I thought he was great. I, th I mean, I thought he played it to the T. He works with Baron Corbin and the crowd was behind him. Um, I, I think uh, a lot of the stuff he kind of touching on, on what you're saying, Brian, I think some of kind of the, the real life uh, Seth Rollins tendencies um, hurt his his cause. You know, stuff he'd say in interviews and in social media, uh, he, he really came off bad. Uh, but I think that the character, uh, he was fine. Uh, how about you, uh, uh, Kevin? What, what do you think about uh, uh, Seth Rollins year as a rule breaker? Yeah, I think he, uh, like Brian says, there's just this quality you don't you don't want to like him, and it, maybe some of that is, you know, some of the things he said in interviews and elsewhere. I mean, he he at some point blocked us on Twitter, so I don't know what that was about. Um, he did, yeah, and he was he was our our number one 
ranked wrestler in the 500 the year before last. So I don't know what we did to piss him off, but something. <laughs> but, I was trying to be nice before and say he wasn't really. No, that's fine. I mean, it, it's, I, I haven't heard anything bad about him in, uh, you know, in real life, but just the, his public persona <laughs> makes him that natural heel. I think um, this was a close category though. And I mean, the first runner up is Roman Reigns at 19% turned heel very late in the period. Was was out of action. You know, yep. throughout most of the pandemic, the uh, early months of the pandemic, we're very much still in the pandemic. Um, but I think had Roman returned a bit earlier and been doing what he's doing now longer, he could have taken the category as good as Seth has been as the the top heel on on Raw. Uh, and then you have MJF at second runner up, which I mean, again, just speaks to the competition in this category this year. And you know, maybe MJF is possibly hurt a little bit by inactivity. He was. Also out of action for for a while, uh, but you have the three of them, and I mean, look, Randy Orton, who you know he, he's more in a, a babyface role now, but while this voting was going on, very much a heel. I mean, he was really detestable throughout most of the year, and he's only the third runner up with eleven percent of the vote. So, so it doesn't there doesn't seem to be a shortage of detestable. Yeah, in uh, pro wrestling right now. Yeah, I, I think Roman Reigns is doing all time great uh, heel work. You know, a, a about a guy who is just naturally cut out for for a role. They were really kind of pushing that that rock uphill for years and trying to get him over as a babyface, and it just it never fit. And the second, I mean, like day one that he he came out as a heel, it it fit like a glove and. Uh, he is so good, it. and it's and it's interesting because he's, yeah, it's amazing. Like the 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 one hundred eighty degree shift from fans from a guy who won this award a few years ago as a babyface, right? The only time it ever happened in a magazine, um, and a, a, a guy that I think many many I'd even say most fans had kind of dismissed is now sort of universally being praised as one of the best performers in in all of wrestling. And it's interesting too because I think the view of fans toward him had softened because they really uh, admired his fight against leukemia. And then his decision to stay home with his family during the pandemic to not put himself or his children at risk. I, I really think he came back with a lot of respect and he, if he wanted to be a baby face, he could have probably for the first time maybe really done that. But instead he's like, no, I'm going to be a complete game changing heel without doing anything cheap or or basic from like a heel heat standpoint he's just like so good at portraying this character and and i, I don't know it, it it's great like because you want to see him just get the crap kicked out of him because he's just being so like awful to everybody but he's doing it in this way that it's not go away i want to see what roman reigns is doing and that's, that's that's a tough balance i think in the in today's landscape yeah. He, he is uh, a must-see TV every week whenever he's on the screen. So for sure, uh, uh, and MJF too, you know, is is really doing uh, again, sort of like revolutionary uh, heel work. Really um, embraces like few others, just being a jerk uh, yeah. everywhere he goes, everything he says, uh, and. Yeah, I think most years w would have done better. I think it, if he stays on this course, it, it's inevitable that he wins this uh, award sometime in the next couple of years because he's still a kid. I think he's still in his early 20s. Um, so uh, going in reverse, most popular wrestler of the year, he is our cover boy. Uh, couldn't be bothered to hold the the plaque the right direction. <laughs> That'd be way too much work to flip that thing upside down. Uh, Orange Cassidy, I imagine we're going to get some, some heat uh, over this one. 
but the numbers don't lie. 23% of the vote, uh, Orange Cassidy is the most popular wrestler of the year. I could say in my household with my kids, this is absolutely the case. Uh, now, I, I think some people are going to accuse us of using Dominion voting machines. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, they might want to. They might want to have a couple of recounts. I don't know, uh, or <laughs> maybe lodge a complaint or hold a hearing in a hotel lobby somewhere. Could happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this was. Uh, I, I think. I mean, uh, again, it it speaks to the changing nature of the business and and and, the, and of the fan base. Um, there, of course, there are people whose heads are going to explode seeing this. They already have been exploding seeing this. But again, numbers do not lie, right? This was the guy that got voted and. The, and who got picked um yeah okay you know 20 30 years ago this gimmick might have been you know like la laughed out of the business or whatever but it's not 20 30 years ago and and so uh it, you it reflects the changing times and i, and I think it was i personally think it was a great idea to put him on the cover as the most you know for, for most popular i don't know how that decision process goes if it's always wrestler of the year or sometimes it varies or whatever but but i think it was a great idea to put somebody like that on the cover who i don't think has ever been on a cover before right by himself at least no no and i mean it's it usually is wrestler of the year i believe becky lynch was on the cover for either most popular or woman of the year um right. the year before uh last but yeah it was definitely a decision to do something a little bit different uh aew uh you know posed him with his plaque and sent us many, many photos, and not a single one was he holding that plaque right side up. So hands were tied with that. <laughs> I think it's great. It's perfect. Uh, but, yeah, he narrowly wins this over John Moxley, thanks to a late surge in voting, too. He was uh, he was always the runner-up, first runner-up, if he was not going to take this. But late surge in voting, and he took the category. And, I mean, reaction has been mixed. Some people were exci very excited to see him win. I Some – we had some comments on Twitter, people saying, I haven't bought PWI in years. I'm buying this issue. So that that's, that's exciting. And then we had other people who say that, you know, this is PWI jumping the shark, putting him on the cover. So uh, if we wanted to get a divisive reaction, that's the answer. You know, I, I usually don't subject myself. If I think uh, I listened to Jim Cornette's take on, on this issue, because I was curious, I had to hear what he said. Cause I, I, I thought, you know, he's going to be, really worked up and I, I have to know what he says and Maybe he, he might even call you out personally by name which would right yeah i had to hear it um so i did listen to to his reactions to the issue and i will say he didn't even get angry he just laughed when he heard that orange cassidy was voted most popular but again the numbers don't lie the fans are behind him you have a, a certain type of casual fan who just does not even do pro wrestling as a rule who are tuning into dynamite just to watch him, you know, so, which is, that's an incredible opportunity. And that's, that's not something you get very often. And the, the, the fact that this character may not have worked 20 years ago is completely irrelevant. We are living in a very different world. And one thing I pointed out and just in his defense, this is a very highly trained and capable technical wrestler who stays in character constantly, constantly. Um, and I heard the interview that Brady Hicks conducted with him for the feature he wrote about him. It's, you can't get him to break character. He's, he is just committed to the bit. Yeah. He does some stuff that you may not do in a real fight, but he's 100% consistent in a way that a lot of wrestlers are not. And in a way that's, that's oddly old school, which. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm writing the biography of the Sheik right now and I, and I'm seeing a lot of parallels. I mean, he, that's, that's never been said before. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it. I'm, I'm yeah. saying it. He, ne he also never broke character, 
didn't yeah. matter. He was a guy who really, really knew how to wrestle. He legitimately could work. His character meant that he didn't. And he would surprise people. They'd be like, I, I don't know. You know how to do all this. Why don't you do all this? And he'd be like, it's just not my thing. It's not, that's not what gets me over. That's not what I do. It, it, it is very, very similar. You know, a lot of people would look at him just the same way they look at Cassidy and go, this guy is a clown. What is he doing? He's just biting and stabbing. Does he know how to do anything else? But that's why he works. If Orange Cassidy dropped all that stuff, he wouldn't be Orange Cassidy. You know, he, he wouldn't have won this award. He should be just another wrestler. So that said, I, I think we did see an evolution in the character uh, this year, you know, especially in that feud with Chris Jericho. You think about that that debate segment uh, they did uh, where a lot of it was was kind of fun and silly. But at the end, he really brought it home and made the case for why he was going to beat Chris Jericho. And it was one of those, you know, goosebump uh, pros. Uh, and in those matches had his fun, did some of his shtick, but also really brought it, you know, and and showed a, a kind of aggression that we hadn't seen. So, um, yeah, I think people who think he's he's kind of all gimmick or one-dimensional are not giving him uh, his, his just due. I, I think we did see another side this year, and we continue to see that. So, uh, and, and the other thing is, um, it, it's sort of an indictment of where baby faces are right now, certainly in WWE. I mean, you look at the top four vote getters, only one of them is sort of WWE uh, main brand in, in Drew McIntyre. Uh, John Moxley, who I think is a, a could have won this award, uh, he, a, a guy who was very much over with fans and positioned as a top guy. And then Keith Lee, uh, who was very popular on the NXT brand. I don't think that really translated onto the, the main brand. In, in part because how he was positioned. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, this is an indictment of, of WWE just not being able to create um, babyface stars anymore uh, other than Drew, Drew McIntyre, who's done a, a fine job, uh, but but it also hasn't set the world on fire. So uh, yeah, I think I think they got this one right. Uh, moving on, Matt. No, wait a minute. Let's skip to one. No, we didn't. Uh, no, match of the year. Yeah, match of the year. Uh, goes to uh, a tag team match. I think it's been a while since we had a tag team match as matches. Yes. Uh, and it is uh, the Young Bucks versus Adam Page and Kenny Omega from February 29th. This was, was this the Revolution pay-per-view? It was, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, a hell of a match. I mean, uh, a lot of people talked about maybe the best American tag team match ever, um, certainly in, in, in our generation. Uh, uh, super uh, duper exciting. Uh, I think a worthy number one. But also, I gotta say, looking and and this speaks to again just sort of the, the unusual circumstances of 2020. Um, I'm not blown away by most of these matches. Edge and Randy Orton was really good. It's in number one uh, uh, spot. Uh, Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley, I thought was fine for you know. I really like that one. I really really like. Yeah, I think that was by that was from a technical standpoint, from a wrestling standpoint, that was. By far the best WrestleMania match, I thought. Yeah, I but think. played in front of uh, you know crickets chirping, which which I thought uh, really hurt. And then Walter versus Dragonoff, which I had I heard so much about, I hadn't seen until recently, and I just watched it. That is a very good. Ago, and I was like, oh my god, you know, I, I, I if you guys, <laughs> I'd be interested to talk to you guys about this match because I haven't uh, talked to anybody about it. Yeah. And I got to say, I mean, it was a spectacle. But part of me is also like, this isn't wrestling, guys. You know, like we're just actually fighting. Her. The idea is simulated uh, combat. You know, I, I feel like uh, uh, you know the sheiks of the world or, or guys from from that generation would watch this and just be like, "What are you guys doing?" You know, 
you're not supposed to be trying to hurt each other. And these guys just were potatoing each other and just beating the hell out of each other for yeah. what it was a half hour. So a spectacle for sure. I don't know if I'd call it a great match. I mean, I really enjoyed it, uh, but there, yeah, that, there's a legitimate concern there. And I mean, you, you have to look no further. I mean, especially Dragunov at the end of the match, what he looked right. like visibly beaten up and, you know, cut open from Walter's chops. And, but I mean, I'll, I'd be lying if I said I didn't love every minute of it. I mean, it was just, it was a little bit hard to watch at times uh, because there was so much, clearly so much actual pain involved. I will say that most of the matches, both in, you know, the runners up and the votes for others section were shortlisted where, Hey, maybe these are some good matches that you watched over the year that you might want to consider. Um, Walter and Dragunov was not, it was later. Actually, that was after the ballot had been generated. And, and yet that still got, so it, it is, it's relatively rare, you know, especially in the match of the year category for something that was not like refresh my memory listed to get a runner's up spot. And this match did, and it was on NXT UK, which is, I mean, one of the lesser viewed programs of WWE, but of course it has some great wrestling on it. A so, lot of people were pushing that online. Like there was a lot on Twitter and elsewhere of like, Hey guys, you need to see this match. If you don't watch NXT UK, watch this match. That's right. why I watched it. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I just watched it recently because yeah, I, I don't, I don't tune in much weeks, but there was so much buzz about it that I went back and watched it. Thing. Yep. Yeah. Jaw jaw was dropped the whole match. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that is, uh, the, the, uh, the top vote getters. Uh, I saw that in votes for others, uh, you had Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. I think this is the Hell in the Cell match, which I loved. I, I would have had it in one of, um, these runners up spot. I would have uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, another one that maybe I liked more than most, I mentioned it before was, um, Dominic Mysterio and Seth Rollins from SummerSlam. I thought that was a hoot. I thought that was so much fun when the family's running out and mom's coming out and the sister's coming out and all that. And, and I, I thought think, that was I think it's in votes, but not enough to be in that, even the, the honorable mention category. It's just, uh, you know, there were some, some memorable matches in here and agree with them or not. That's, that's what our reader said. So yeah. But, uh, also surprised not to see, to see uh, Japan uh, not do as well uh, this year. Usually, um, they're all over this. And uh, I mean, they were shut down a lot of the year, I know. Well, uh, you but know you did I, have Russell Kingdom in here, in there. I wonder, Al, if some of that is, you know, people talk about, you know, 2020 was a hell of a decade. Um, you know, because that year felt so long. And I really think some of what happened beforehand, people almost forgot about it just because it was so long ago or felt so long ago. And I mean, the reality is it was, those matches were very much eligible. And I mean, I, I think especially that Okada Naito match, mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that that was a great first runner up, for example, but I thought the Ibushi match was even better the first night, um, but they were both, both really good. And bo- and both also, votes, but... With Okada, you almost grade on the curve because right. everything he does is, is like the five-star match. If he has like a four and three quarter star match, it's a disappointment. So um, yeah. Maybe that hurt him. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, tag team of the year. Uh, you touched on it before. This is the first ever female tag team to to win this, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, golden uh, role models, Bailey and Sasha Banks win it. Um, first runner up, we've got FTR, uh, who was the the first uh, number one ranked tag team in the tag team one tag team fifty. Uh, Anna Page and Kenny Omega had a great year, and then Street Profits. So um, this is a strong. Uh, a, a group of, of uh, tag teams in this category, as I can remember in a long, long time. 
Yeah, and this is actually uh, four of the five teams from our our top five. Yeah, in the, you know in the tag team fifty issue, so it's 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 nice to see that you know, albeit in a different order, that we were up, we were uh, along the right lines for for who we came up with. Um, some have pointed out, I believe Bailey and Sasha actually had a losing record over the year. So that. So that that speaks to the quality of their work and their presence on television that, you know, you could argue with and some some people objected to them being uh, as high as they were in the tag team 50. But to me, this this vindicates it. I mean, it's 20 percent of the vote. One in five people who cast a vote said that they were the best tag team all year. And, uh, you know, again, numbers don't lie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian, do they get it right here with the golden role models? This was a really tight category, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I have to say this is not to give a cop-out answer. Like, pretty much any one of those teams, I would have been happy with winning. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I may be slightly, slightly, slightly partial to FDR just because of the impressiveness of, you know, dominating, you know, all the different brands, which they've been boasting about lately, which I'm glad that any AEW allows them to do, like, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, AEW, like all these things. I think that has kind of a cool thing about it. But still, I, I don't I don't begrudge this at all. Any one of those teams w- would have been a worthy pick. Yeah, yeah. I might actually have given my vote to uh, the Street Profits, who, who I was a little slow uh, on the, the take-up with. and uh, But they just dominated the, the whole year. I mean, being, beginning, I guess, right before WrestleMania, uh, when they got the Raw Tag Team title, and then um, just everybody put in front of them, they knocked down. And, you know, the the big win over New Day late in the year. Uh, uh, so uh, I thought they absolutely came into their own. So, yeah, I might have given it to them. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, like you said, I don't think you can go wrong here. And then finally, uh, the big one, the wrestler of the year sporting the Pro Wrestling Illustrated T-shirt, which you could pick up at ProWrestlingTees.com. Uh, it is, uh, he's the former champ, right? Uh, well, I forget, I lose track. Who's, who's AEW champion these days? Kenny Omega is the champ. Right, yeah, Omega, because he's on Impact. Yeah, I, I, he's been yeah, for so yeah. long that, that, I, that I still think of him as the champ. Uh, now, has, former, he, have, he does have the I, IWGP uh, United States Championship as right, of. yes, Who, which he has teased uh, uh, defending uh, pretty soon. So, uh, yes, the former AW uh, World Heavyweight Champion John Moxley with twenty nine percent of the vote. I mean, that was a nice, healthy margin. So, um, a decisive uh, pick by our fans uh, at the first runner up spot. I think almost in most years she could have won this. Uh, with 10% was Bailey, who had just a heck of a year. Uh, then Chris Jericho in the second runner-up spot, and Sasha Banks, uh, third runner-up. So um, two out of the three runners-up women. I think that's the first time that's happened, I think. Um, and uh, so, uh, O'Brien, was this the right choice? Uh, John Moxley had a heck of a year. I think it's tough not, not to make things too predictable, but in my mind, it's tough to argue that the winner of the PWI 500 shouldn't be wrestler of the year. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess we wouldn't want to just have the same people every year win it, but, but I mean, it, it just shows the level of dominance, the level of, you know, accomplishments of what he's done um, and how he's, how he's been positioned. You know, I think that um, Jericho was a great first champion to have, you know, to kind of get the ball rolling and get things off the ground. But, uh, but I think, you know, him as champion, despite the pandemic limitations on uh, that he had, like everyone else did, 
But I think having him as champion was a great way to kind of keep that ball rolling, you know. And, and now with Kenny Omega, it's like this title lineage. I, I'm really like, I don't know, I'm really psyched by it because it just it's such a maybe it's I'm, I, maybe I'm ruined by the often haphazard booking of WWE with their top titles sometimes like this Randy Orton switch hint hint. But it seems like everything just kind of clicks. It's like you had Jericho, who was very solid in his own way. You had Moxley, who kept it going. And now you have this Omega angle with Callis. It's been a greatly booked title. And, and I mean, obviously, it goes without saying, holding that title is what put Moxley over the top. I mean, this was the year that he really came into his own. So as much as he deserves the, eight, the PWI number one 500 spot, he deserves this as well. I think that absolutely was the right call. I'm glad that he wound up getting that. Yeah. Well, I've just been looking um, at the history of this award while, while you've been talking, because I, I wanted to check something. And it is, is the case that this is the first time ever since we started this award back in uh, 1972. And I think that was in the Wrestler magazine uh, that a uh, WWE, WWF, WWF uh, male wrestler has not even made um, a, a runner-up spot. So uh, there's no representation of male WWE wrestlers. And it was a gimme forever that usually they would win this. Whoever the top guy in WWE would win. You look, you look at the history, it's Hulk Hogan, it's um, Steve Austin, uh, uh, John Cena, AJ Styles more recently. And uh, they don't show up at all, all the way through uh, third runner-up. I imagine Drew McIntyre got a healthy number of votes, but not enough to even break um, the the top four vote getters. Uh, Kevin, what does that say? I mean, we've been talking about, uh, uh, you know, it was a rough year creatively for WWE. Uh, they really struggled in, in creating male stars uh, at least. And uh, I think it shows here. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's not, if you look at the representation that is in there with Bailey as number two, I mean, it's hard to argue with Brian's what Brian said about Moxley being number one as the, the, the top, uh, ranked wrestler in the 500, but then on the women's 100 side of things, you had Bailey, who was dominant. Um, and, you know, maybe like from a kayfabe standpoint, she had a few more fluke wins, right? Being the, the heel. Um, but I think you could have just as easily argued for her to take the wrestler of the year award. And then, you know, honestly, she may have suffered a bit just because Sasha took some of her votes. Um, and But you have Moxley and Jericho who both helped put AEW on the map uh, and maybe an indictment of WWE more so than the fact that they don't have any male stars in here because they do at least have Bailey and Sasha is the fact that these are two wrestlers they had on their roster a few years ago and they let go and who have gone on to do these exciting things elsewhere. I don't think you would have seen Chris Jericho as the second runner up for wrestler of the year in WWE had he remained there. I certainly don't think you would have seen John Moxley be wrestler of the year because it's just, the way he was booked there was, was a little inconsistent. Um, and, you know, as you said, uh, Drew McIntyre did well. I mean, he was, it was close. I think maybe he had 6% of the vote if memory serves. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but, you know, apart from that, I mean, it's, it's kind of slim pickings for WWE. The next up you have Oscar. So, I mean, it, it's, it really, it, it does say a lot about how the women in WWE did this year. Um, and then, you know, otherwise, maybe about how they could have booked their male wrestlers better because I think presentation goes such a long way with all this. Yeah. I, I couldn't even imagine after um, McIntyre, I mean, Reigns had a fantastic 
last third of the year uh, or so. So it, it's with him, it's just really an issue of activity, I would think. I mean, certainly on pace to be a top contender for this award uh, next year. But uh, after that, who else was there even? I mean, are you talking Braun Strowman or Bray Wyatt? And these guys were not guys who I would think of had particularly good 2020s, uh, but both had world titles then. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's Orton, sure. Yeah, I mean, he had a fine year. Yeah. Uh, and I think this definitely proves beyond a shadow of any doubt that PWI is indeed in the pocket of Tony Khan. I think we, <laughs> <laughs> we that's it. It's the, you know, we can't argue against that now. We're, you know, because we voted. We can't vote. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Wordsworth Ambrose, uh, the highest he had ranked before was uh, as Dean Ambrose. He was third runner up in 2016. Uh, and I think he won most popular maybe a couple of years, right? I remember there, there was a run there, which also speaks to like, yeah, why weren't you doing more with this guy? Because yeah. um, the fans I, really liked him. I think it was the year when he was WWE champion. I think or the 2014 and 2015, he won uh, most popular. And he came in uh, second runner up in 2016. So, uh, yeah, he's been, fans have liked him for a long time. Uh, so uh, there you have it. Real quick, I'll also mention uh, the Stanley uh, Weston Award, which is essentially um, sort of the PWI Lifetime Achievement Award. Usually goes um, to we award one of them a year. This year we're, we uh, gave out two. Uh, Kevin, can you talk a bit about the decision to do that? Yeah. Um, so I think the problem with the Weston Award is that it's not a problem. I mean, it's, it's the most prestigious award we have because you can only get it once and only one person a year gets it. No one else is in contention for it. There's no runners up. Um, at least not that we will write down and <laughs> make public anyway. Um, one thing I noticed going through the list of winners is that you have so many wrestlers who receive this award posthumously because they, they died during the year. Um, and I mean, I think if someone is deserving of recognition, that's as good a reason as any to do it. But it made me a little sad to think that nobody is getting, that so many people are not getting recognized, especially in recent years during their lifetimes. And if you have something like the Grammys, I think they have six lifetime achievement awards a year. That's a little bit overkill, but I don't see a reason why we can't have two or three. Um, and I think start with two and that makes sense. Um, it's not going to be a hard and fast rule that we did this, do this, but this year it worked out that we gave one award to a woman and one to a man. Um, Medusa Michelli, formerly, you know, Lundra, Lundra Blaze, uh, rookie of the year winner for PWI. I think maybe actually in her third or fourth year, Al, to reference something you said <laughs> earlier on. Um, but someone who had long been deserving of recognition, I told Bill after, um, and, his response was, you know, it's about time. Like, finally, she's getting that award. Um, she has given so much to women's wrestling and mentored people and put on some classic matches. Uh, so I, I thought it was a no-brainer to, to give her that recognition. And, I mean, worth mentioning, the, I think the last time we gave the Weston Award to a woman was Moolah in 1992. It, it was very much overdue. Um, maybe it was a 92, maybe in 98 or something like that, but it was a long time coming. Um, and Medusa was deserving, uh, in my view. So I, I, I kind of felt that that was the way to go. Um, and then the other award was to Stu Sachs, who, I mean, has made this magazine possible, made it what it is. You know, there would be no PWI if not for his editorial vision, if not for 
his decisions that kept the magazine going all these years when so many other print publications have gone the way of the dodo. Pro Wrestling Illustrated is still out there and Stu 100% gets the credit for, for you know, making that possible. Um, but I didn't want to uh, not give Stu his, his uh, due recognition. Uh, I also wanted to have room to extend an honor to an active wrestler. So maybe there will be something along those lines. There will be, you know, years where there's kind of not the, the celebrity hall of fame, but something akin to that, you know, there's a journalist, there's a promoter, there's a commentator, and then there's a wrestler. We'll see how it goes in future years, but that was my thinking this year. Yeah. Yeah. I know UFC does something kind of like that. They, they have their hall of fame every year and they've got, um, I forget what they call it, but modern generation and then like classic generation. And uh, so, so they have kind of different tiers um, sort of accounting for, yeah, that not everybody is necessarily on the same uh, playing field. So uh, yeah, I, I, who could argue with, with either one of these um, Medusa, an absolute pioneer in, in women's wrestling. It's so weird when you watch back on like, uh, mid nineties WWF stuff, which was the height of cartoonishness. Right. I mean, and then somewhere in there you'd have Med uh, Medusa just having like this kick-ass match with like a Japanese woman. It, it was so completely out of left field on WWE programming. Um, you go back to that uh, survivor series, a uh, uh, 95 where they had the one women's match. It was just like Medusa, just like having this amazing match with all these Japanese women. It was, it was really uh, bizarre, but, but um, yeah, she absolutely deserves it. And that, that feud with her and Bull Makano was, I mean, really did have some great match. And I hadn't watched some of those in a long time, kind of like you were alluding to. I'm like, wait, whoa, this match is so much better than I remembered. Yeah. And when you look at it, it's like, well, yeah, they were both from all Japan women who were just one of the most revered in-ring promotions of all time. I mean, like the, the, how many, I don't even know how many five-star matches were given to all Japan women during the nineties was a lot. Um, and, you know, she was over there working with them and, and then you had Bull Nakata come over and you had Aja Khan come over and some, some other people. And it's just, it's, you know, a, a lot of, uh, there's kind of this uh, backhanded and not even backhanded. I mean, like the, the, the women's division of old gets overlooked so often and like, Oh, okay. The, the women's revolution. But the reality is, Going back many years, there there were some great women's matches in WWE that that uh, you know do get overlooked. So I think it's it's good to go back and and point that out, especially for newer fans. Yeah, what, what what's interesting with Medusa is like you, you think about women's wrestling now, and you've got um, those women who are the top performers in the industry, and then you've got a lot of kind of uh, a supporting cast that is trying to climb their way to get to that. <clears throat> that top tier and with medusa she kind of was the top tier for uh, a number of years and um the the one thing i kind of like feel sorry for her was is that she didn't have anybody to to work with it, especially um uh when there were the most eyes watching if you look at like her last run in in wcw uh late 90s early 2000s um you know, what a waste of, of such an amazing performer that they threw her in there in, you know, these kind of brawn panties stuff and, and just had her just, Oklahoma. yeah. And, and, uh, what a waste, you know, when right. knowing what you had on your hands. So, uh, glad that all these years later, fans 
are able to even, you know, look through all that and appreciate what was there, even if it wasn't always able to be um, showcased. Uh, and then Stu, you know, what can we say uh, about Stu? Uh, was our, our our leader for a long time, led this magazine. And if anybody ever uh, deserved uh, uh, this award, uh, it was Stu Sachs. Would you agree, Brian? Yes, as I have my three-year-old son yeah, see in the room here, I'm having uh, like, who's that guy on the news that had that happen? Oh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, with with Medusa, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> That's all right. Yes, where's Hello, buddy? Happen. Say hi. Hello, dude. You got shy. <laughs> what, what? What is it? Maybe he'll earn this award one day. Yeah. Uh, uh mommy. <laughs> Somebody left the door open, but um, <laughs> that's all right. Okay, so yeah, because I, I did want to talk about Medusa though for a second, oh, sure. of course. But um, yeah, I mean, like she distinguished herself in so many places: AWA, WWF, WCW. I mean, she was world champion in the AWA and the WWF, um, and and also excelled as a manager. Honestly, like she was great in WCW in the '90s as a manager. The stuff she did in the 90s in the WWF, probably I would have to say that was ahead of its time because she was kind of the first women's wrestler at that level that was being put out there strictly on the basis of her athleticism. Um, probably the first time, maybe even since like Mildred Burke or something, and not in terms of like, wow, these women are really hot or whatever. And unfortunately, it's because they didn't know what to do with it, it seems like that it then became like, you know, all about cheesecake right after her was with all the diva stuff and everything. It was, uh, and so it's, it's been a long time coming that kind of recognition. And, and again, what happened there is no mark against her at all because she gave it her all. She was incredible in those, in those years in the WWF, probably the best in ring stuff they were, they were presenting at that time. So yeah, she definitely deserves it. Um, Stu, of course, the great unsung hero of the history of Weston magazines. And I say unsung only because he made it his life's mission to be unknown by wrestling fans. Yeah. And he, and he succeeded too well, you know, because he should, he needs to be on that Mount Rushmore, you know, with, with, with Bill Apter and, and, and Stanley himself, honestly, Mr. Weston himself, he deserves it. He, he really was the, I, I, I can't even say the face of the magazine because he wasn't because he didn't want to be. Know. He yeah. was like, he was the masked face of the magazine for third year. I think Al referred to him as the heart and soul of the magazine at some point. That's great. Yeah. 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 And and, and uh, uh, you're right. I, I hope now that it, uh, he is retired and sort of like with Medusa, maybe um, you, you get a kind of historical perspective. I hope fans, new fans, even older fans begin to discover more about what, what Stu did over, I mean, who has got a run like that, right? I mean, 40 uh, plus years working in the wrestling magazine business. And um, th there are some organizations that uh, honor uh, wrestling uh, journalists and any any place that has an award like that, uh, not only does he uh, deserve it, you could argue that it should be named after him, you know? Um, he is, is that deserving. Uh, of it, so uh, I, I hope those start to pile up. You know, I've I've done my part and to, to help put in a word in, in some of those because, um, yeah, and any uh, wrestling Hall of Fame uh, that includes writers, wrestling journalists, uh, it's just a sin if you don't have Stu Sachs in in your Hall of Fame. 
So, and let me put in a quick plug uh, for those who wonder might be wondering what Stu has been up to since retirement. Since Soft. he'd already spoken so extensively about his career in the magazine, I, I opted to interview him about what he's been doing since he, he stepped away. So if you if you want to read about that, you got to pick up the April 2021 edition of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Absolutely. Yes, that's a good segue. Uh, all right, guys, that wraps it up. Uh, and and really, uh, we've gone through everything here. But if you really want to uh, dig deep into why these people were picked and uh, what fans had to say and so much more, you know, this issue is about more than just the awards. We've got the top 10 uh, stories of the year. We've got a complete uh, a history of title changes right um, throughout the year. We've got the whole staff's uh, memories of 2020, uh, a lot of photos that have not been published uh, otherwise in the year in review there is uh just so much here um you you don't want to miss it the, the unofficial official awards which are always a lot of fun those are chosen by the fans um i think it's 82 pages of coverage something like that yeah so uh please uh, do yourself a favor go pick it up at pwi-online.com all right guys thank you so much for doing this uh and uh, we'll do it again soon all right take care guys